Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. say that season two is going to be absolutely incredible because in season two i have a co-host co-host say hello hello that's caroline she's now my co-host so season two of shareable is going to be a little bit different we're still talking about people and technology but we're going to go a little bit deeper a master class so grab your favorite pen and your favorite piece of paper and get ready to take some notes because this is shareable Welcome back to the Shareable Podcast. I'm Carolyn Tassone, your lovely co-host. And you might be confused right now because you're only hearing one voice coming through your headphones. Uh, Yes, that's right. My co-host, Jeff, won't be joining us today. He's attending to very important client work, and we we commend him for taking on that for the rest of us. But that means it's just me today. And uh, I want to thank everybody who listens and... uh, hearts us on Overcast and just sends us all of your love. You guys are the best. I don't know what we would do without you. And I'm here to bring you an interview with a very special guest today. Special guest, who are you? Naftali Hoff. It's a pleasure to be with you, Carolyn. Yeah, you too. I'm super excited to get into uh, everything that you have to offer today. But can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. So I'm an executive coach and I work with leaders and their teams to try to help them optimize their performance, gain clarity about their work, and really deliver on their, you know, their vision and uh, their daily practice. My background is in education. I actually was a school leader for a number of years and transitioned into this coaching work because I wanted to be able to give and to guide and to support on a bigger and deeper level. I think that's awesome. And I think coming from a background of education really lends nicely to that environment. I think you have been already that history of working with educators and people who are going out into the world and intending to uh, lead and guide. Um, So I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. But uh, in this episode, in this deep dive, who are we going to help today? Who is your ideal audience of one that we're going to teach something to about leadership? I think we should focus today on new leaders, and I'm going to define that a little bit more broadly. I'm referring to people who are transitioning into leadership, either thinking about it or recently got started. And I think we should also include those who are transitioning within leadership, moving from one position to another, either within the same organization or elsewhere. That's fantastic. And I, I also think anybody who's just looking to learn how to lead, even, even within your own team, can benefit from listening. Um, but, but let's get into it. What are, what's today's lesson going to be about? Why is it going to be valuable for those people who are getting into leadership or new to leadership or transitioning into leadership? Uh, I think it's going to be valuable because uh, oftentimes people who are in those positions don't necessarily know not through any fault of their own, but they simply don't know what they're in for. Uh, You know, leadership is a challenging thing, as we all know, and there are a lot of pitfalls uh, along the way. And I often find, research is very clear on this, uh, that people who get off on the wrong foot, who have a hard time uh, initiating relationships and getting clear on vision and taking the right initial steps, they have a very hard time 
cleaning up their mess, so to speak, and fixing it and doing so in a time frame that's ultimately going to lead them not only to thrive, but really to survive on a very basic level. So uh, I think it's important for people who are beginning to understand, I don't want to throw any cold water. It's a great time. It's a wonderful you know, opportunity, and certainly they deserve it if they've been given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they need to realize that they they shouldn't necessarily read all of the press. You know, it's uh, oftentimes the optimism, the enthusiasm at the beginning is super high. People are very excited. That can be a double-edged sword because sometimes it's hard to live up to all of that if you're not really clear on what you want to achieve and find a way by which to communicate that to those that ultimately are going to be assessing your work and judging you know what you're accomplishing whether they're formal formal evaluators and 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 uh, you know overseers or just people who are informally going to be looking at your work and trying to get a sense of the quality of your accomplishments all these kinds of things that's going to be hard to achieve if you're not clear on what you want and you're not able to communicate to others what you're there to uh, to accomplish because everyone's got their own ideas and, and, and thoughts in that regard. Yeah, it's so funny. I feel like that's one of the, the biggest things we've learned this season in our deep dive series. It's being clear of your goals and how crucial that is to almost any other process that you're going to do in business after the fact. I think that's an, a very important place to start. Um, you kind of hit on it a little bit. And uh, my next question would be, What's a mistake that a lot of people make when they get started in these leadership roles? And you, you touched on it a bit, but can you expand on it for me? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually speak to um, from personal experience here a little bit as well. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention simply because I think that this is one of the reasons as to why uh, I did what I did. I actually recently published a book specific to this topic. Um, I'll mention quickly the title of the book and then get into why I'm mentioning it now. It's called Becoming the New Boss and the New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success. And the reason I wrote it is because my background in school leadership, uh, I did transition with, uh, I would say, pretty nice degree of successes in a variety of different uh, schools to the highest level, if you will, that I reached uh, within a particular organization, which was a head of school of an independent school. And in that particular case, um, one lesson that I think is really powerful is to understand the context in which you you are beginning your your own leadership journey. Uh, in that particular case, I had uh, a principal who had been there before, built the school from the ground up, you could say, pretty much. Didn't found it, but got in early on. All the staff pretty much had been hired by him, uh, were very loyal to him. He was a wonderful person, had retired under difficult circumstances. His wife had become terminally ill, and she actually did not survived the year and they had left for Israel before the end of the year so that she could, uh, so to speak, live her last days uh, in that country. And uh, because of all of that, the context, the, 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 uh, the emotion, the drama, if you will, besides for all of the loyalties, you know, there were a lot of pieces that really required more uh, attention than perhaps I, in my relatively young and seemingly sense of invincibility, uh, appreciated at that time. And the result of that, I think in retrospect, was that I didn't spend enough time uh, building relationships, truly understanding the context in which I found myself and finding the right way forward that was, let's call it culturally and socially and otherwise appropriate, that would have really helped everybody feel comfortable and at ease with the new sheriff in town, let's call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And in so doing created some of that tension, which I alluded to earlier, which which made it more difficult for me to ultimately achieve the things that we did wind up achieving. Mm-hmm. And so basically the purpose of writing the book was to give 
new leaders an opportunity to understand many of the pitfalls that go into. Again, it's a great opportunity. I'm not trying to discourage anyone. But at the same time, I think that the more aware you are about what you're getting into, speaking to the, the, the historians, if you will, within the building, understand where the organization, whether it's a company, a non-for-profit, it doesn't matter, uh, where it's been, who the key players are, you know, what has been some of the history, and then finding a way to slowly, gently, and carefully build equity, learn more, and then become more strategic about how can you achieve some small, e early, easy wins that don't throw people off you know, in any particular type of way so that you get the foundation, the support, that when you're ready to move on to something a little bit more profound, a little bit more involved, and sometimes, frankly, a little bit scarier because change for many people is a scary endeavor, <laughs> you have a lot more trust because people know that you're a person who has their best interests in mind, yeah. has a clear sense of what the organization is there to accomplish, and they don't feel that you're you're a hatchet person coming in just to, you know, with an axe to grind. They, they accept it more, and even if it ultimately demands more of them or forces them to shift in some type of way and may not be what they think is in their best personal interest, they're going to be less inclined to push back. And even if they do, the people around them, I think, will be less receptive to it because you will have created a safe and positive environment in which this type of you know difficult, more engaging work uh, needs to happen and will happen. And I think that as a result of that, you'll have an easier time advancing that agenda. Yeah. Otherwise you're just sort of charging in there blind. Like, like you're running, you're coming in and saying, all right, I'm in charge now. I'm the new sheriff, as you said. And, and everyone kind of doesn't really know how to respond to you or whether or not you even have their interests at heart. And I think that's, that's so crucial to, to motivating people in the first place, knowing that you're somebody that they can trust. So I think you really nailed it on that. Um, so I want to go through some of the processes that you outline in your book. So take us through step by step. How would you go about entering this world as a, as a new or transitioning leader? What's, what's the first thing you do? Well, if you're, I think the first thing you do is, uh, you know, try to really understand what it is that you're applying for, you know, mm -hmm. understand the position well. And, and part of that is interviewing the interviewer or really delving into the job description, trying to understand everything you can about the organization that's, that's posting the position, about the particular team, the team players, whatever you can learn, the more the better, because that will give you um, a real sense of, of, of what lies you know, in store for you. Granted, a new leader can change all of that. You can help to change a culture. You can help to change you know, personnel and things like that. But I, I wouldn't over, over um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess overestimate your own capability and be overconfident mm -hmm. and say, well, oh, you know, I, I can handle it. I'm, I'm a big boy, big girl, and I, I can just do you know, what needs to be done. I think that context really can make a huge difference. You know, whether you're using, let's say, for example, a sports analogy of a of a great manager or coach that comes to a team with an awful roster, you know, you could be you could be great, but if you don't have the goods, if you don't have the people, it's going to make it much more difficult for you to succeed. And and so that's I think an important piece, you know, and and sometimes it's hard because you want to get into that next phase, you want to be promoted, you want to get that next uh, level of salary and benefits and prestige mm -hmm. and anything else that leadership might offer you, and so it's hard to be selective because who knows when the next opportunity will roll around. On the other hand, I think that if you if you don't if it doesn't really add up for you, my recommendation would be to you know to hold out a little bit longer. 
and uh, and and to find you know another way forward. When when you are moving ahead and you've interviewed and 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 things look good, make sure your agreements are in order as well. Be really really clear. Uh, as much as you can through conversation, through your contract. There are other different ways by which you could do this, but try to really drill down what are my responsibilities? Mm-hmm. You know, who do I answer to? What type of authority do I have? What type of financial, uh, let's call it leeway or flexibility do I have to make certain decisions? Because oftentimes what happens is, especially in smaller organizations, which tend not to be uh, as well staffed as they might need to be, you know, things will start to fall on the lap of the leader because ultimately that's where the buck stops. So at least that's where it needs to. And and they'll get saddled with things and ultimately it starts to spiral from there because they feel like they can't ever get ahead. Mm-hmm. And then they can't provide what leadership really is all about, which is vision, which is direction, which is, you know, uh, creating sort of like the the, the, the spirit, if you will, behind the endeavors, behind the hard work, but creating that leadership persona. You can't do that if you've, if you've sort of worked your way down into managerial work or even technical work. So I think it's important for a leader to know why he or she was hired. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they can never be a technician. doesn't mean they can never be a manager. They need to be both on some level in order to really round out the picture. But I think they need to stay focused on how are they going to be able to lead and do they have the pieces in place in order to do that. And, and once all of that is, you know, sort of moving in the right direction, I think another piece to consider and after this, I'll pause, uh, is to start to learn. We talked about this before, to learn the culture, understand the history, understand who you're following. What are some of the key elements associated with the organization that if you know them, you know, you'll be able to, number one, really build upon past successes and you'll also be able to sidestep areas of sensitivity, uh, I remember this is a school-based example, but I think it could be relevant anywhere. I remember a number of years ago when I attended a conference, which was intended for um, for school leaders as well as for board presidents, and we went to this workshop. I don't remember anything that the presenter, who was a consultant, talked about that evening, with the exception of one slide, and the slide was entitled "Hills That Heads Die On." And the focus was on the kinds of what we would consider to be relatively petty and insignificant decisions made by real heads of school, not fictitious characters, but real heads of school that ultimately resulted, maybe not immediately, but but eventually in their dismissal. And it was things like removing certain trophies from the trophy case or reorganizing the, the carpool line, you know, the kinds of things that you would think, well, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. But it ruffled feathers in certain types of ways. And I think that oftentimes a leader could walk in just thinking, well, this is stupid. You know, why are we doing it this way? You know, that's got to change. You know, we can't do that for any longer. And sometimes they're thinking about their old, I write about this in the book as well. Sometimes they think about where they had worked previously and they say, well, in my old workplace, I did that. I was totally guilty of this. I used to reference my old, you know, community and school environment often and, and to rub people the wrong way because in their mind, you know, you're with us now. And mm-hmm. you, you can't be thinking about, well, it doesn't mean you can never reference and experience. It doesn't mean you can't say that I know of other ways to consider, but you don't want to make it as if you're, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of, uh, you know, backwards um, Neanderthals who, who, who don't know what they're talking about and everybody else seems to have figured it out and we need to change like ASAP. That's not going to be a way by which to engender 
the right kind of relationship and trust. So when you when you go in, you're comfortable with the position. I'm sort of summarizing now. You feel that this is the right fit. You understand as much as you can about the nature of the job as well as what you're going to be asked to do. And then you work hard to understand the background, the culture, the history, the values um, before you walk in to try to reframe or reset any of those. Uh, in most cases, you're going to have a much easier time achieving what you consider to be the right kind of goals and the right kind of uh, um, next steps than if you try to do it the opposite way, sort of like the bull in China shop right. approach, because at that point, the resistance is up. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worried about their own backs. And uh, and, and then, then everything that you do try to accomplish, even if it sounds great, <laughs> is not going to go very far. And I'll end this segment or this response with one last piece that I often refer to and I do uh, leadership trainings and whatnot. Uh, I've seen that in the name of John Maxwell, where he talks about really four different areas, which I think are fascinating in the sense of the leader and the leader's agenda. And he says as follows, if the people support the leader and they support the leader's agenda, you get behind the leader. That's easy. We get that. If, on the other hand, you don't support the leader and you don't support his or her vision or agenda, get another leader. I think those two are pretty clear. Where it's very interesting to me are the two in the middle. One of them is you support the leader, but you don't support his or her vision. Then the response is get another vision. But if you support the vision and you don't support the leader, then it's get another leader. Hmm. So between those two, the one that really is most critical and instrumental for success in the long term is the relationship. And I think we all we all intuitively know this. We know that it's the it's the leaders that we like. You know, it's the leaders that we can connect to, even if they don't always do the right thing. Sometimes they could be a little bit goofy or make some mistakes. And yeah, we roll our eyes and whatever. <laughs> but but at the same time, we can get behind them because we know they have our backs. We know they have our best interests in mind. We know that their hearts are in the right place. And we feel that we can ultimately, you know, support them more um, and, and sort of lead up towards a positive outcome. But if the leader is not a person that we could support, we typically feel we have no recourse but to get into some type of mutiny mode, uh, whether it's passive aggressive or, or something even more um, you know, uh, proactive than that. And a leader is really not going to succeed in such an environment. So that's why I think it's so critical. Use the time at the beginning, lay a proper foundation, try not to, to try to keep the expectations low at the beginning. Let everybody know that you're there to learn for now. You're there to observe. You're there to ask questions. And eventually, at the right time, whether that's three months in or a little bit longer, you're going to probably start to take more concrete, definitive action towards next steps. And the only exception to this would be if uh, a leader walks into a turnaround situation, which is a conversation in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But very but very quickly, sometimes you have no choice but to act quickly and decisively. Uh, in most cases, hopefully, though, that's not the situation you're walking into. And if you are a new leader, I would steer clear of that as much as I could, simply because there's so many variables that are unconventional. And the likelihood of success in those cases are relatively low. And, you know, you often... They say, you know, going back to that head and shoulders commercial from, I don't know, a couple of decades ago. I don't know if you recall that one. If you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I do. <laughs> so I think that that really is very true for leadership as well. If a person walks in, doesn't succeed, it's much, much harder at that point 
to find another opportunity that you like and they like you and everything is a good fit moving forward. Does, I'm not saying it can't happen, mm-hmm. but a lot is riding often on that first opportunity. So make it a good one and make good decisions along the way. And you'll see if you're patient enough, typically speaking, good things will happen. Yeah. I, there's so much gold in everything that you just said. I, I think that you're spot on with with just that hitting home on the point of you need to understand who it is you're you're going in to lead first before you can have any idea how to lead them. But I want to kind of get into how you would notice whether or not things were working. What's like the first milestone that you would come across that would say like, okay, it's time to start pushing maybe some more more uh, drastic changes or perhaps drastic isn't the right word. But what are the what are the signs that that things are going well? Um, I, I don't know that there's a, a single answer to that question because That's I think, <laughs> you know, organizations vary on so many different levels, but I, I think that as you, as you start to walk around, whether it's, you know, managing by walking around the concept that was made f- uh, famous by the founders of Hewlett Packard, whether it's having those kinds of conversations. And by the way, I would encourage, uh, all of the listeners, especially those who are new to try to have their conversations with people um, on their people's turf rather than on their own, or at least on what we'd call maybe neutral ground, go to their cubicle, go to their office, maybe meet at a local Starbucks, rather than inviting them to your office where you seem you have the home field advantage, I guess you would say. I love that. Um, and, and that's an important piece because I think that this way, the more, the more you level off the playing field, the more you're going to have the defenses drop and people can just engage more naturally and comfortably in what it is that they want to share. Uh, but I think a, a good leader will know pretty quickly, you know, what's working and what's not. Um, even in the interview process, in most cases, I think that interviewers will tip their hand about what really bothers them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that was one of my issues for myself is that I was pretty clear on what I needed to do. You know, I walked in, as I said, following a successful principal, but he wasn't perfect. Nobody is. There were a number of issues uh, that people felt needed to be attended to. And whether it was because of the fact that he fundamentally didn't agree or because of the fact that he was soon to retire and felt that it wasn't just worth burning bridges at that point in order to achieve what some of these people wanted, you know, they just didn't get done. And so I knew walking in that this is what the search committee was looking for. This is what the board as a whole was looking for. This is what many of the faculty members who I had spoken with were looking for. And so I thought, you know, okay, I got it. I'm ready to roll. Um, But I didn't, you know, have yet subsequent conversation and more importantly, didn't have enough of the equity foundation, as I talked about before, to make people fully comfortable with some of those changes, at least initially. So coming back to the question of when to change and how to change, there's no, you know, magic formula that I know of, but I know, you know, there are tools you could use. So for example, uh, there's something called a case for change, which I write about. It's not my own. I'm forgetting now. I believe the, the woman's name is Deborah Macklin. is a consultant, uh, and it's it's her work that I found uh, that I think really is a nice concept where you 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 put it out there with invested constituents and you ask them, you know, what do we what do we need? And you you may have an idea about something. What's going to happen? If we don't advance on this, what happens if we stay the same? And if we do make changes, you know, who has to get involved and to what level, you know, some of the questions that you ask around change that you're considering. And when you collect the feedback, you'll get a real sense of where people are at, you know, how invested they are in the change, how much they see it to be necessary and how quickly. 
and, and, and how much they're willing to invest in terms of time and resources and things like that. And the more information you can gather around a change process, the more you can get people not only to support it, but really help you carry the agenda forward. Um, I think that that's a really important piece that leaders oftentimes can forget about because, again, we read the press, we feel we're good, we have a sense of what we need to accomplish, but we forget that our job is not to drag everybody along behind us. <laughs> our job is to lead people forward, and sometimes you lead from behind. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you lead from the side. Sometimes you lead because you, you, know, you plant an idea in people's mind, and they start to think about it, and they say, you know what? You know, I think that that, that that idea is right. And not only that, but some great leaders, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think there was one of the, even one of the presidents of the United States in the last century who was famous for, for planting ideas. Oh, I know it was. It was somebody who had a relationship with, I'd like to say it was Woodrow Wilson, but it wasn't Woodrow Wilson himself. It was, it was one of his advisors uh, who would kind of plant ideas into the president's mind and then walk away, not sort of forcing it. And then, you know, the next day or the next week, uh, Wilson would go ahead and present it as if it was his own idea. <laughs> and this way he got it, he got it, you know, he got it advanced. And yeah. that's all he, and that's all he cared about. He didn't care. He wasn't looking for the credit. He wasn't looking for the glory. He was looking for the, um, the, the goals to be met. And mm -hmm. so, if leaders are there in order to, you know, get into the headlines and get that uh, that sense of, um, of of recognition, it's going to be. It can be. It won't necessarily be, but it can be a long and more difficult climb. But if leaders are prepared to lead humbly, uh, whether it's through the concept of servant leadership or, or other models that put them a little bit less on the front burner, um, but allow them still to be very influential. Uh, as far as planting ideas and, and advancing them and giving credit elsewhere and delegating to help people not only feel more involved, but frankly, to get things done, you know, those types of leaders have a much greater chance of long-term success, of feeling confident and comfortable and having the balance that they need so that they don't burn out too quickly. I think that's that's such an interesting concept because you're creating responsibility, in your employees at that point, when you're willing to lead from behind or lead from the side or instill just that we're in this together feeling that we're both out there to achieve a common goal. I think that's way more powerful than dictating or any other method you could use to, to try and get pe the dragging people along behind you essentially. Um, and I, I, that was just incredible, but you've shared a lot of fantastic points, but I have one final question about what is the the secret sauce that uh, you've you shared a lot of it, and I know there's even more in your book, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes. But what is what is one secret that you would give away for for free for us today about leadership? Um, let's see here. I think that uh, when we talk about I think it's important. I, I know I alluded to this before, but I, I think that you know we we need to really be mindful of the fact that at the end of the day, we're leading people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 hard. It's hard sometimes to think in such terms. We, we've become very digital. We we communicate digitally, and the result of that, I think, is that we tend to overuse some of our technology. I think we send, tend to overuse or or or. Or, or not give enough thought to the way that we communicate. Um, but I think really today more than ever, 
because of the fact that we're, we're, we're in such a digital world and we're sharing constantly, there's a level of superficiality to all of it that even if we can't necessarily point to, and even if we're not willing to really stare down in the mirror and say, you know, life on Facebook is not as grand as, as some people think it to be. And this is nothing against Facebook or Twitter or anything else. I'm on all of them. <laughs> but, but there are people, and I would include myself in that, who don't necessarily buy in fully to living that type of lifestyle. In other words, making it all about sharing. You know, there's, a, there's a joke that I share. I hope it's okay to to, to, to mention it oh, here, yeah. um, you know the old adage that if a tree falls in a forest and there's nobody there to hear it, did it make a sound? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that philosophical underpinning is, I'm not going to get into that now, <laughs> but, I'm, but my 21st century version of that is if I went somewhere and I didn't post a selfie to Instagram, <laughs> was, I re- was I really there? That's true. Was I really there? <laughs> you know, and it's, gotten to, and it's gotten to such a point now where that has become our focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that despite... Even if you're talking about the younger millennial, you know, elements within our workplaces who, who love technology more so than anybody and very much live on that platform. Um, nonetheless, I think all of us deep down still very much crave inter interaction on a very human level. We like face to face interaction. We need to know how to do it properly, you know, to be mindful of our nonverbals, to be mindful of our spacing, all those kinds of things. But we at essence still need to find ways by which to humanize the work experience, the engagement experience. And I think that even though it's going to take more time to pick up the phone, even if it's going to take more time to drop by their their cubicle or office, um, anything that we could, or write a, write a handwritten note, you know, these are so old fashioned, so to speak. And so yesteryear, but I think the currency is still very much there. And even if people aren't normally accustomed to it, when they get it, I think it speaks volumes. So, um, no matter what you do, what kind of work you're in, make sure that you lead from a place of humility, from a place of engagement and from a place of service. And I think that if you kind of touch on those um, and you do it in a very human type of way where people feel that you are you know, really ready to engage with them, you will get a level of loyalty, of commitment, of engagement, and of support uh, that you, you typically will not find in another way. And uh, I think that that can be really a make it or break it difference for some people in terms of their long-term success. Oh, Natalie, that was beautiful. <laughs> I, as as someone who is led by Jeff on a daily basis, I know that whenever he makes efforts to, and and you know we're we're very close, but he, whenever we just make jokes in the office before we get started or go out for lunch, those attempts, those interactions with a human versus, you know, my boss, it's it's made life at True Voice Media and doing this podcast a completely life-changing experience for me. So I can completely validate that. But you've been kind enough to come on here and share all of your wisdom with us. Uh, Tell everyone where they can find you online. Sure. Um, You can find me in two places. The main one is my primary website, which is impactfulcoaching.com. 
And on that website, you can learn about my coaching, consulting work, and you know, uh, seminars, other things of the sort. You could also uh, sign up for my blog as well as my own podcast, which recently launched called Lead to Succeed, which I'd love to uh, have people uh, listen in on that one as well, where Heck I get yeah. to f- sort of flip the, <laughs> flip the script and do the, do the asking. Yeah. Um, but it's actually participating on other, on other podcasts that not only help me be a better host, but but ultimately, you know, understand the kinds of things that people get interested and excited about. So I love opportunities like this. The other place <laughs> to go would be to my book website. By the way, you could link to the book on the on the impactful coaching, but you can go to becomingthenewboss.com, which delves much more deeply into the book specifically, uh, why I wrote it, you know, video there, things of the sort. And you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Google Plus. I'm there. And uh, certainly would love to engage with you and, and to learn more through that experience. Fantastic. Uh, everyone, please go find him. Check out his podcast. He just started it. I was actually reading his blog post the other day about how he started a podcast, and it just it hit home for us here, uh, st- still with our um, only one-year-old podcast. But uh, I think this was a fantastic episode, and I want to thank you so much for being here um, And normally this is the part of the show where Jeff would ask me how I thought about this episode, if I could describe it in one word, and I'm going to just say it was shareable. There are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order. First, thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and a quick thank you to me for producing the show. I'd like to send a shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song Always and A. Humitsu for the use of our outro song Adventures. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jay Gibbard, and you can follow me at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod and just shareable podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at sharablepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe. Do all the things. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Review us on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey, mom. <laughs>